Hey everyone, it's Henry, Mike, and Jeff of The Decentralists, and welcome to our latest episode from Kyiv, Ukraine. Now, I'm sure most of you know that Mike's been there for quite a while, since August of last year, of course, and um, we have discovered a lot of things about Ukraine and, 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 and what it's like living in a war zone and a big European city. Uh, but Mike, what we'd like to do this week is finally give you a chance to talk about technology. And what I mean by that is, is how technology is so pervasive in Ukraine and what you've experienced compared to, I guess, what we consider our baseline in North America. Well, you know, Henry, it's it's kind of one of these things, right, where you don't know what to expect. Um, you know, Ukraine is, has been, is one of these kind of, you know, Eastern European, former Soviet countries, you know, kind of like East Germany and, and the Czech Republic and Poland and all of these places. And it is arguably the one that has still been under the kind of the uh, Eastern influence, say, the longest. Really? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you think about it. I mean, Prague was kind of, li- you know, liberated back in the in 8990. And then they've, you know, they've since then they've done wonderful things to restore the old buildings and paint them up and do all this stuff. But right. you don't really know what to expect. You think... Ukraine seems to be closer, uh, you know, to Russia. I mean, right on the border uh, and and all this other kind of stuff. So you kind of expect it to be backwards when it comes to technology. And in certain things, it is. Uh, you know, like I basically every two minutes, and forgive me if you get interrupted, it'll sound like, you know, basically rolling thunder behind me because they have these, you know, thousand-year-old 80-ton tro- electric trolley cars that roll around my neighborhood and will do <laughs> Right. And they seriously, they shake the whole building and there's like, you know, paint peeling off them and all of this other kind of stuff, but they just work. Okay. And I think when we've talked about, uh, you know, the, the struggles that Ukraine has with corruption and, and these kind of things, it's, it's worth mentioning that, you know, former Soviet bloc nations like Latvia and Estonia and these countries, they're relatively small, so it's pretty easy for them to to pivot. Correct, and you know, and East Germany had you know billions of Deutschmarks now euros that that flew float in to to help them pivot, and Prague and the Czech Republic, you know, they were very much deep in Europe. They they joined the EU, so you know, millions of dollars flowed in there as well, Correct. but. But for somewhere like Ukraine to pivot, uh, I think a lot of people just, it's difficult for people to recognize how how large the nation is. I mean, when Biden visit and he's riding a train for eight hours, when Mike talks about heading to Kiev riding a train for eight hours, I mean, that, that sort of gives you a sense as to totally. how big this place is and how big of a challenge it is to, you know, to pivot away from from communist depression and pivot into technology. Oh, that's a good point, actually, because, you know, many of the European countries are relatively small compared to Canada uh, or the United States. But Ukraine is indeed the largest um, in Europe. Um, So so if it's going to change, it's got a lot of work to do. You're you're correct. I mean, the the country is large. And I think that, I think um, um, when Ukraine joins the EU, it will be the largest country by landmass. Wow. In Europe. And and so, you know, the distances are vast. I mean, the, 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 the border town on the kind of Slovakian border is called Ushgorod, and it is a 15-hour train ride from Kiev. Wow. Right? Getting back to technology. Okay, so, 
you know, I, I come to Ukraine, you kind of figure, okay, you know, X, X kind of Soviet state at war, you know, all this other kind of stuff, what do you expect? And, and the first thing I notice when I, you know, I get here and I kind of get myself checked into the hotel and everything is that I literally have the crappiest phone in the entire like country. You mean your, your own personal cell phone? My personal phone. So I went out, (laughs) no, seriously. So I went out and I got a, um, I have like an iPhone 12 or something and I got like an iPhone XR or something like this, just as a travel thing. Right. So I could put another SIM in it and everything. And my like iPhone XR, it's like I might as well be carrying around a Blackberry because all the kids here have like everybody has the brand newest, the newest phone, right? And get this, there's no pay as you go plans here. So oh, yeah? yeah, there's no pay as you go plans here. The iPhone still costs a thousand dollars or something like this, and um, you know it. It, uh, it they have to buy it themselves. And yet okay. they all have brand new. Okay. And, you know, then you go into the restaurants and like COVID, they have this, the QR code things, um, you know, kind of on the, on the table and you scan it for the menu. Right. But you also scan it to order. You can also, you, so you scan it, you can order your things, they'll bring it to the table and you can pay. You mean all with your phone? All with your phone. Hmm. Um, you know, they have, you know, there's, there's, uh, ride sharing like Uber. Well, sure. Ukraine has three Uber <laughs> bolt and you claw. Wow. So, you know what I mean? I call it, I call it, uh, I call it, um, uh, Ukrainian roulette. Cause every, every night, you know, when it's like with the curfew used to be 11 o'clock and a couple of weeks ago, they turned it, made it to midnight. Ah. And so every time it's like, say the like 1030 or now 1130, Everybody's standing around the street with their phones on trying to order cabs, bolts, Ubers, or Ubers. Okay. And so, you know, it's, it's, so these are, these are the types of things. And, and so everybody has um, a digital bank card, right? And so you'll sit there and, um, you know, I'll say I pick up the dinner. Well, you just, you just basically type in my card number or even just tap your phone to mine. And you can transfer like 200 uh, freedom. You know, that's really interesting, Mike, because all this stuff that you're describing, yeah, most of us have heard about it here mm-hmm. in the West. Like, it's coming. But right. <laughs> every week you hear about something that's coming and it doesn't. Well, exactly. And, 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 and you know, like there's, there's been all these different guests from all over the world, right? And, and so oddly enough, the people that generally are the, are the most backwards are the Americans. Well, it's funny you should say that because I was just thinking, I was in Florida last week and uh, I'm in a restaurant in Florida. I go to pay my meal. I put my credit card down. They pick it up. They take it away and uh, run it through some machine at the bar. And then they come back with a little folder and then you sign your name and you totally. have a tip and they take that away again. Even at the airport, you know, you're, you're, getting all these little slips of paper and signing them and, oh, and doing all this school. business. And we haven't even had that in Canada for 15 years. So it's, uh, totally. you know, it's pretty, pretty mind blowing how, uh, how, how backwards the U S is in that respect. Now we could spend a whole other podcast talking about the privacy implications of tapping phones together to pay and everything right. being tracked and right. hacked. But, but if we just push that aside for a second and just, just think about technology, it's probably still safer than 
the server taking my card away to some room behind the bar to totally where they're running five copies of it through the little charge X machine. Remember that in the day that we went, Oh yeah. You had that piece of paper. Yeah. Um, with oh, the, sure. with the triplicate stuff. Um, you know, yeah, it's crazy. Right. And I mean, half the people that come here from the States don't even have, um, chips in their cards. Oh really? Like smart chips. They can't tap. That's fascinating because now, as you probably know, I, I just received a brand new Visa card. There's, there's not even there's not even numbers on the raise numbers anymore. Numbers not anymore. Raise no, there isn't. No, and it's funny because when I was in the U.S. last week, here and there I would tap my card, and so some of the terminals accept it, and the the clerks and servers were kind of startled. It's like, what are you doing? And then it would work. It would spit out a receipt, and they're like, oh. And, uh, and other times you stick your card in and it doesn't even ask for a pin. So yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty weird. Mike, getting back to, um, technology in, in, in Ukraine, yeah. give us a, a few more examples. And then my question for you is how did it become so relatively advanced? Do you think? The most kind of technically advanced piece of this techno of, let's say this tech techno umbrella here, um, is the digital identity app DIA. Now, what's that for our listeners? So DIA uh, um, is the name of the digital identity application for Ukraine. And who produces that? It's made by the Department of Digital Transformation. Okay, government, yeah. Right. And so so what happened is, is about, say, I want to say about 15 or 20 years ago, the Ukrainian government made a kind of a strategic decision that they were going to focus the education system and the population and everything on technology because they had a lot of young people. They have a lot of really good universities and they're like, look, we're going to be kind of like the contract programming, you know, area, the cheap place where you can hire, you know, European people on a European time zone versus working with say, uh, you know, programmers in India. Like programmers and coders we're talking about. Yeah, exactly. Like people who make programs on computers. Right. And so, you know, so that kind of started this whole transformation of the Ukrainian um, kind of landscape where, you know, you have this, this weird kind of dichotomy where you go out of the cities of the big cities like Kiev and Odessa and Lviv, and there's all these villages. And in these villages, you may not even have internet. Hmm. And you have all of these kind of, you know, old Babas and Ditos out there and they don't have smartphones and they don't have email and they don't have any of this stuff. But you come in the cities and everybody does. Right. And, right. And so what they did is they have this digital identity idea, which is is literally the exact opposite of the way the rest of the bureaucracy in this country works. So what you've got here is still a layover remnants of the old kind of. Uh, Soviet bureaucracy where, you know, if you want to get a passport or, you know, a bank account or whatever, you have, you have to go to the bank and but before you go to the bank, you know, they, or they make you give you a form where you have to fill it out and then you have to take it to notary to have it stamped, you know, with an official stamp. And then you have to take another piece of paper to somebody else. It's very, very onerous, time consuming. And everybody's walking around with these little plastic folders that hold lots of papers in. But if you have this DIA app, so you've got your Ukraine passport or identity card and you just scan it like you do when you add a credit card to, say, Apple Pay or Google Pay. And then it just it just creates a an electronic you know, kind of identity for you. You can use DIA to, um, you know, within basically three clicks, get a small business loan or a grant to build 
you know, say a garden shed in your backyard or a greenhouse, you can register a company in literally four clicks. You're kidding. No, seriously. Um, you know, all of this stuff, right? It, it can all be done through this app. And it, to the fact where I just read yesterday that they're exporting DIA to Estonia to be used as their new digital identity. You're kidding. And, and Estonia has been one of these places that was literally le- is, was the leading place in the world to have everybody have a digital identity. And now they're going to use DIA. And, and, and so, you know, if you are digitally savvy and you have this DIA app, you can literally get through, you know, probably half of the bureaucrat, the bureaucracy kind of things that you would normally have to do. So, you know, I go in, for example, and, and, and I've got DIA because I have a Ukrainian identity card. And, um, you know, now I can literally do almost everything, including filing a claim for damage to my home or, or land or property. Huh. Right. And so everything is on this thing. And to Jeff's point, it and, and to, you know, from my experience, you know, I've been, you know, we've been talking about digital identity for years. It literally scares the crap out. So it's it's not a it's not the type of platform that I would want. Okay, for my identity in terms of the way it operates, but what you can do with it, its functionality is incredible. Oh, so you're saying functionality, I mean, the stuff, I mean, we can't do any of that in Canada, as you know, with the government, but the fact is the way it's designed, it's, it's, you don't feel it's something you'd be comfortable with simply because everything's in the cloud or this or that or whatever, right? Absolutely. And it's all not just in the cloud. It's all in a cloud that's, that's basically owned and run by the government. Okay. It's also a bit of a paradox. uh, I, I, well, maybe paradox is not the right word, but it's a bit of a, a challenge for these nations that are again trying to overcome corruption where previously if you wanted to register a company you might have to slip your paper application along with an envelope with a hundred bucks in it to the guy to get it approved and get the rubber stamp and do this and do that once it's all happening digitally you don't have to bribe a server in the cloud and and it all just happens so you're Hmm. kind of creating one problem of you know, putting all this data into the cloud that I'm sure Russian hackers are drooling over. Right. Where, but on the other hand, you're solving this problem of frustration that the Ukrainian citizens would have as they try to overcome the corruption inher- that was inherent in their uh-huh. system. That's great perspective. Yin and yang. Absolutely. So which is the, which is the bigger evil, right? I mean, you know, this is kind of the thing. So without, with a hundred percent, I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's, but it's just, a, it, it's just another, um, you know, it's just another aspect of, um, you know, kind of life here, especially during wartime and all this other kind of stuff. But it's, it's funny, you know, it's, what it's doing is, is it's also, you know, this, this technology kind of, especially with things like Dia is starting to change people's attitudes towards, say, the government and towards, say, things like corruption because it removes many of the of the normal types of things they would have had to, where they could have encountered corruption. So the young uh. people are all like, oh, it's great. I just, you know, dia, tap, boom, done, right? Um, but it's, it's what it does is, is now everybody here, it, it, for them, they're blown away by the fact that 
Um, you know, I have to, I've been literally trying for two weeks, say, for example, Henry, to do an, a, a wire transfer of money from the bank account in Canada to the bank account in Ukraine. Yeah. And it's, it's, and it's literally this long drawn out death rattle of a process, yada, yada, yada. Whereas here, if you couldn't just tap a number and press a button and it was done, people would freak out. You're kidding. They would freak. No, they would freak out. So, so let me give you another example. So I'll tell you how mobile phone service works here. Okay, so you have your phone, so you have to have your own phone, so you have to buy it, right? So I have my phone, I come here, you go to like the corner, any corner kiosk, and you can pick like Kiev Star or Pop-Up or one of the local phone carriers, and you get a SIM card, okay? You take that SIM card, you put it into your phone. Uh, then, then basically, if you have an online bank account like I have, I have a bank account in Ukraine, two of them actually, and I have like the online app. And what I do is I go into my app and I say phone top up and I enter my phone number and then I transfer 250 hryvnia per month in on the SIM. It sends me a text that says, thank you very much. And I've now got unlimited for the month. Hmm. And when the month ticks over, I just go in and go phone top up. The phone number is already there. I press a button gone. So you can literally send money, payments, do anything if you know somebody's phone number. Wow. It, you know, it's, it's crazy. And so, um, you know, the, the, what, it, what it's doing is, though, is that you can start to see, um, you know, how this, this comfort and experience with technology um, starts to help people, A, move away from the specter of, you know, big government bureaucracy and corruption, but it also leapfrogs them ahead of basically the rest of Europe and certainly, you know, decades ahead of North America. Seriously, in terms of how people bank, how people interact with their government, how people, you know, move money around. And and that's that's actually kind of one of the craziest things. And so, you know, you sit around and and, um, you know, I asked I asked one of the one of the uh, kids at the hotel um, just the other day. So you had a day off yesterday. He's like, yeah. I said, so what did you do? Oh, you know, I got up, ordered ordered McDonald's from Glovo. Right, the delivery guys rolls mm -hmm. up. You know, you just go click, click, boom, done. The guy rides up his bike to get your food, and then it's lunchtime, and you, you know, you order something else from the sushi place or whatever it is. So every restaurant has, you know, some has guys coming around picking food up, delivering it, um, and they're all on bicycles or scooters or whatever it is, and and that's just what people do. Huh. You know, okay. it, it's crazy. But I can't help but wonder, you know, with. With the whole economy, you know, based on these servers and, you know, who knows where they are. Well, not the whole economy, but significant portion of the economy. You know, if Russia hacks them or even just blows them up or destroys the infrastructure, you know, now nobody can pay for anything. You can't even order French fries in a restaurant. You well, can't, point. you know, you, you can't do anything. So it's, you know, it's, it's kind of fascinating to think about... You know, the fact that you can't just pull some cash out of your wallet at the local florist, you know, I, I just, um, I can't, or, or, you know, that's where it's marching. I can't help but wonder, you know, if you, if you, or even if, even if they knock down a portion of it, you know, the cell towers or, or whatever, right. you know, does it bring the, does it bring the whole country to its knees? And this is, this is an example of where cyber is so the risk of sounding like Trump, you know, where cyber is so, uh, 
you know, such a significant component of warfare now uh, compared to, compared to the, you know, the olden days. Yeah. I was going to say, do you see any examples of where technology is, is primitive or is it all, you know, all sort of cutting edge? It's kind of where, where you see a lot of like say primitive stuff is, is in kind of the physical world. So, you know, for example, uh, the Metro, uh, you know, the underground is all kind of the old marble, uh, you know, Soviet type stuff. I mean, it's very ornate and they got these huge escalators and all this stuff, but you know, that like the turnstiles still look like they were made in, you know, the fifties and things like yeah. this. So there's, there's that type of stuff, um, you know, just in the physical kind of look of the city. So you walk around and, you know, there's, there's chunks out of the sidewalk or, you know, there's air conditioners bolted on the side of every window and all this other kind of stuff. So when it, when you talk about the physical world, it, that's where it's still, you know, kind of ancient. Um, but when you, and, but when you talk about kind of the virtual world, shall we say, uh, it's definitely much more advanced, but you know, there, there's no disappearing of cash here. So it's not like the Nordics, right? Like, I mean, basically places like Sweden and Denmark and stuff like this, they're, they're, they're taking the society cashless. And, and that's something that, as you know, our good colleague and friend Clapham Jeff bristles at. Yeah. Is this idea that, you know, well, what happens if there is no self-service or what happens if, you know, Apple Pay blows up or whatever it is, I can't do anything. And so there's still, I still carry cash. Um, right. You know, right. every everybody has still has cash um, because you never know when you're going to need it. And so, you know, it's, it's not a, it's not gone full circle, but, you know, I can tell you that when they do, it's, it's going to be quick. <laughs> Right? It's going to be really quick. I mean, my hotel's got a Starlink on it, right? You know, we've got the Starlink for the internet, um, you know, all of that type of stuff. So it's, and, but, but there's no uh, 5G, I don't think here, for example, right? So in certain things, and that's just because of the, um, you know, the, the, you know, just the, the building of the technology. Well, they keep threatening about giving us 5G here in Canada too. They've been saying it for years. Well, totally. That's a huge hardware investment, and it's taking time. So, I mean, I wouldn't worry about that too much. Uh, question. Uh, Mike, you have certainly shown us that the Ukrainians are, are, are very, very digitally talented, I guess, or adept. Yes. Uh, they, yep. they know what they're doing. Do you think that uh, knowledge or talent is applicable in some fashion to helping uh, in the war effort against the invading Russians? Oh, well, for sure it is. They have a cyber army. Uh, you know, they within something like a week. Uh, actually, I think it was in something like three days of of the war. You know, kind of reigniting, shall we say, in February because it's been going on since twenty fourteen. Yeah, right. But reigniting in February, they they, they you know the they put out a call for uh, tech any kind of technology people, right? Social media marketing folks, graphic designers. Uh, hackers, programmers, whatever, to join the cyber army of Ukraine. Nice. Okay? And it was crazy. Within three days, they had 745,000 people on a Telegram chat. Oh. 745,000 people. Well, hold on a second. Didn't we do a podcast saying you can't trust Telegram because it's owned by a Russian? Yes. Yes, we actually <laughs> did. Yes, we actually did. And I still, I still maintain that. 
Yeah, and I yeah. still bristle at the fact that we'll do another podcast on that. I still bristle at the fact that you know you hear Zelensky announced today on his Telegram channel, I'm like doubt. So yeah, that's that's pretty fascinating. Uh, we're going to have to do a uh, a podcast on on cyber warfare if you indeed feel that it's uh, making such a difference, and that's what I keep reading about. So that'll be coming. Yep. Um, anything else, uh, Mike? You want to talk about regarding technology that you haven't shared with us yet? You know, we have our technology. Of course. Um, you know, which is kind of oddly um, anti-DIA, which may sound weird, but one of the downsides of applications like the DIA digital identity app or things like this is you need to, there's certain requirements for you to actually access the app, right? You have to have a bank account or you have to have a, you know, a driver's mm -hmm. license or something like this, Okay. Because you need that to identify yourself, to create an account within this app. But what that means is, is that anybody who either doesn't have a smartphone, doesn't have internet access, or doesn't have any of the required, say, two of three identity things, cannot use the app. Right. Which means now they can't file claims, which means now they can't easily apply for loans or to do things, you know, the stuff that you can do with DIA. Um, and when it comes to people being able to file claims for their damage, their homes, land, and property... To a certain extent, less or you know more so, obviously, for people who are wanting to report war crimes or human rights abuses, they may not necessarily have the re the requisite uh, access, and they may not want to identify themselves. Mm. And so, our our app is 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 up and running. Um, it does not require any kind of login or any kind of identification of yourself, and you can you know take a map of of Ukraine. With a honeycomb laid over it, zoom in on topographic, like topographic features map, pick your house out, add, upload your data, and file a claim, and you don't have to tell anybody who you are. And then you can pass the phone, I can pass the phone to Jeff, he can do his own claim, and then he can pass it to you, and you can do your claim. And if we're sitting around in some train station in Poland somewhere, and we want to document, you know, what's happened to us, and there's only one phone that's got a charge, right? Then everybody can at least document their stuff. So these are the types of things where, you know, when you're doing more specialized use cases, or you've got more, uh, you know, more, uh, let's say, just different different parameters to operate from, you can use technology, but it's like almost anti-technology um, to, you know, to actually accomplish something good. And so, you know, basically the, the you know, the only thing I wanted to mention yep. is that it's actually there and working. Um, and it actually is, is pretty cool. So, you know, we're hoping to do our part to kind of bridge the gap between the people who have everything all nice and slick, their land titles, their identity, everything in DIA, and they're ready to go, and the people that don't. Yeah. Absolutely. And I know that we're going to have some more news about that in the near future. We're just waiting for some, oh, some final approvals, but uh, it's a long process, but man, you've been working hard. So everybody thanks you for that. Mike, uh, again, thanks for uh, for chatting. I'm I'm you said that there was some uh, some attacks today. I'm happy that there wasn't a, an air raid siren that sounded during this, but um, it sounded just like two minutes, two minutes before we started recording. Yeah, I'll say it every week and I'll say it again. Stay safe, my friend. Thanks, Mike. Thank you very much, my friend. Bye for now.